So listen, last week we had the opportunity to talk together. And we talked about the word enough. And we talked about Christ being enough in our life. And so this week I want to talk to you about another word. And the word is necessary. The word is necessary. Last week was enough. Today, the word is necessary. And and when you hear the word necessary, what is your first thought? You know, what is your first thought when you hear that? And you could write something down on the notes if you have notes this morning, because there's a little blank for you to do that today. So your first thought may be, well, being here, you know, this is the South. It's Sunday morning. It's 11 o'clock or 1129. So it's the holy hour, right? In the South. So I'm here. It's an obligation. It's a priority in your life. Some of you say, dude, I'm, I'm thinking about lunch. So for some of you, necessity is food right now. It is. And for some of you, it's a responsibility. It's a list. For some of you, it's studying for finals. Yeah, can I get an amen on that one, right? Yes, it's studying for finals. Uh, yeah, that's not really excited about that. And, and so what is it in your life that's really necessary? Well, can I tell you that Jesus says to us in the Gospel of Luke, we're about to read, He says to us that there is one thing that is necessary in life. And I thought that was a really interesting statement that he makes, that there's one thing that's necessary, because you're immediately thinking, Mark, no, you won't understand all the things that are on my list, all the things that I have to do, all the responsibilities that I have to, you know, take care of in my life. If you could just see my list on my phone today, then you would realize that, you know, what is Jesus talking about? Well, let me give you a little kind of background of this narrative. We're not going to do an exact, an exhaustive study of the narrative, but where we just want to talk about it for a few moments and then move to the book of Colossians together. But in Luke chapter 10, here is the setting. That Jesus arrives at the house of Mary and Martha. And he arrives there for dinner. We've talked about it so many times. There's so many kinds of ideas that you can get from this text. But he arrives there at the house of Mary and Martha. And he arrives there for dinner. And so here's the setting in the house. That Martha is in the kitchen and she's making the meal. And where is Mary? But she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she is listening to his teaching. And Martha is not happy about the situation. She's not happy about this at all. And you say, well, Mark, I can understand that. Yes, I can too. So it grabs, I think it brings great um, relational aspects to this story. And so verse 40 is what the text, here's what the text tells us. But Martha was distracted. Underline the word distracted. That's important for us today. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. And it's not a disparaging kind of statement to her. But he says to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. There's the statement that one thing is necessary. Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And so when I looked at these two things, what I see is this thing about distraction and this saying that Jesus about one or from Jesus, this one thing is necessary, that there's this dichotomy here. There is this there is this contrast between those two things of being distracted and Jesus's words about that of us realizing that there is only one thing that's necessary in life. You say, Mark, it's a struggle. I know it is a struggle. It was, I guess it's designed that way in this text for you and I to understand is so relational to where we are that all of us struggle because we are a distracted culture. We're a very distracted culture. We are. 
that not only does God have a plan for your life, but everyone else in the world has a plan for your life. Isn't that right? Yes. And so we find ourselves in this contrast and conflict between that of being distracted and that of what Christ is saying to us, that one thing is necessary. So I thought about this thing about distraction. What is the most distracting element of your life? It's a huge question. Think about it for a moment, right? What is the most distracting element of your life? Now that you have that in your mind, and you have said good morning to the person next to you, you know what's coming, right? You're cringing, right? Yes. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, the most distracting element of my life is, and say that to them right now. Just say it. Say it. Yeah, listen to the room. Can you hear it? I heard a lot of good mornings, but I never, I don't hear anybody saying, you are, right? Yes. That would be a terrible moment in church. It would be. Yes. What, What is the most distracting element of our lives? It's, it's not only, I, I think, I don't think it's difficult to determine that. I think it's difficult to say it. I really do at times. So I thought about, so Mark, what is the most distracting thing? What's the most distracting element of my life? And I began to think, and so here's how I answered the question. It's my phone. <laughs> it is my phone, right? Uh, can I get an amen from the room? Amen. It's, it is my phone. Why? Because my phone allows people, and I know this is, could be misunderstood in this room, and you're never going to text or call me again, right? That's not what I'm saying. Hang on, I'm just talking, I'm being real with you, that it allows you and I to be accessible, and it allows you and I to be accessible at all times, right? You want to have quiet time with God, so what do you do? You take your phone, and you kind of turn it over, and you lay it down away from you over there. All of a sudden, you hear, right? It's the buzz, right, from your phone. You're having this quiet time with God. What happens to you? You stay focused on Jesus, right? No, you hear the buzz that changes the world, right? Yes, and you hear that, and you think, should I check it out? Should I? You know, what is it? Maybe it's a news feed. Breaking news, you know, and there's this breaking news on there about, you know, and I have to read it. Why? Because it's about William and Kate, but I'm not even British. So what does it mean, right? Yes, but I'm reading it. Oh, they're struggling. Yeah, you know, and, and so I have to read that. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe it's that guy that was going to send me a text about a date. Can I tell you girls in the room, if he's going to text you, Don't go out with him. He should call you, right? Can I get an amen from the women in the room? True. Yes. So where is Kirk? Where is Kirk? Kirk, are you here again, brother? Yeah, come up here, Kirk. Come here, bro. Kirk helped me last week, right? Yes. So here's the deal. Have you called her yet? No, you haven't. I love you, man. You know that? I promised you lunch. Okay, 25 bucks on us to have lunch on us. We love you, man. And you try, hey, he's the drummer too. Yeah. Do you want me to call her for this? Yeah, call her and make, use that for your date. Okay. Good deal. All right. Hey. Kirk, let us know next week how it turned out, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I love Kirk. He's awesome. 
And so I want to tell you that the, the, here's the thing. You, you, we're so distracted by this thing that we carry in our pockets all the time. It is, and I thought about this. Suppose Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Suppose she had her phone with her, right? Yes. You know, it's stuck in her robe somewhere. I don't know. And in her sock. I don't know. And all of a sudden she takes it out. Jesus is teaching and she says, Jesus, hang on for a moment. Can you say that again? Because that was so good. I need to post that to my story. You know, can you say that again? And she 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 does that. And then right in the middle of that, she says, wait a minute, Jesus, look, Martha is texting me from the kitchen. Can you believe what she's called me? Can you believe that? She said, I'm lazy. Right. I cannot hang on just a minute, Jesus. I got to text her back because I'm not going to let that go. Right. And so I thought, wow, it's the most distracting thing, perhaps, of our lives. It really is. I, I read an article that says that you will check your phone 81,500 times a year. Did you know that? Did you know that what that means is every 4.3 minutes you're going to check your phone? I love these statistics. It's really great. And so what I calculate is this, that during this sermon this morning, you're probably going to check your phone 10.465 times. Did you know that? That's right. So I'm watching. We have cameras. So we're watching you. Understand that? Yes. And when I read this text, this, this conflict between distraction and that of the one necessary thing, the words of Jesus, then I realized that, that what, what is saying to us is it's just simply putting God first in our lives. But it takes more than a slogan for that, right? It takes more than just willpower for you and I to say, hey, I'm going to put God first. It takes more than a shirt with a saying on it for that to really work out for us. So there has to be some practical application to all of this for you and I to walk out this journey of understanding one thing is necessary. So in your Bible today, it's the book of Colossians chapter 3. Paul is great. He's such a linear thinker. I love him because he's going to give us some steps, a straight line in how we walk this journey today together to really understanding that one thing is necessary within our, in our lives. So Colossians 3 verse 1 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. I underline that statement. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So the one thing is this. If you want to know what it is, the one thing is to seek the things that are above is what Paul is telling us. But it's such an ethereal statement. It's such a statement that seems to be, whoa, it's way out there, right? And I need something I can kind of sink my teeth into. So Paul says, okay, I'm going to give it to you that way. And what he says is this, if you have been raised with Christ, then seek. If you have been raised with Christ, then live this way, is what he's teaching us this morning. To be raised with Christ simply brings us back to the resurrection. And we realize that the purpose of the resurrection was this. It was to justify us. So in the resurrection, it says, you know, it creates this work in our lives as if we've never sinned before. So that God no longer keeps score of the sins in my life and your life. And I love that. So what Paul is saying to you and I is this. He's saying, hey, in the light of that amazing truth of your justification, then you gaze upon the things that are above. Here's what he's saying. That what we believe determines how we live. If I believe that, then it really determines how I live. It really does. What I believe determines how I live. 
Because if I believe the indicative of that is that I am justified in Christ, then I will live out the imperative that I live this life out in the very shadow of grace and mercy and justification for my life. And so I'm able to stay focused on the things that are above. The pursuit of my life, the pursuit of my life is Christ. It is. The pursuit of my life is to be more like Him. The pursuit of my life is for Him to mold me and chisel my life. The pursuit of my life is that Christ may be known through the way I live in this world, even in my imperfections. So when we hear that, our first thought is, so what was Mary's deal here? Was her deal just to forget about dinner? You know, is this like fasting? They're doing intermittent fasting and this is the time they can't eat. So we're not going to do dinner. I'm just going to sit here at Jesus' feet. Because when I say that, what that does for you Oh, that begins to frustrate you in light of what we're talking about this morning. Because you have a lot of things in your life that are necessary. And you just can't walk away from them, can you? So you have all these things. I just can't ignore them, Mark. And this kind of teaching, really, it burns my cookies. It really does, right? It it just gets me all lit up because you're telling me that only God can be first in my life. So what do I do about all the other things Because this is impractical and unrealistic for me living in this world. Here's what God is saying to us. And I think it's important for you to write this down this morning. And that is that this is about having a single focus. Yes. It's about you and I having a single focus. Those in this room, those are at church at home, having a single focus. But maintaining awareness of all the other things that comprise my life. That I have a single focus on God, yes. But I continually maintain this awareness of all the other things that apprise my life. It is. Well, Paul helps us in this area. He says in the same book, same chapter, Colossians 3 and verse 23. This is what he says. Whatever you do, everything that you do, whatever you do, relationships, job, education, vocation, profession, whatever it is, whatever you do, he says, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, that you are serving the Lord Christ. What he says is this, that we are serving Christ while remaining aware of all the other things that we are responsible for in life. We do that. So here is a practical outworking of all of that. That I'm loving Reba and I'm serving her well in my life to the best of my ability as God works through me. And because of that, I'm glorifying God and how I love her is exactly what he's saying to me. That I'm glorifying God while I'm loving you and you're loving me well, even in the moments of forgiveness and grace. That I'm glorifying God. I'm focusing on things that are above, yet I'm keeping that responsibility of loving you. It's that... That when I do a full day's work for my employer, that I am glorifying God. And if I am trying to cheat my employer, if I am trying to simply not give him a full day's work like he should get from me, then God is not getting glory and I'm not looking at things above like I should. Does that make sense to you? That we glorify God in how we live this out within our lives. How we live out our faith. And that's really important for us to understand. That I'm living out what I believe through seeking 
seeking what is above. That one necessary thing. And it doesn't mean that I'm neglecting all of the other responsibilities within my life. It doesn't mean that at all. Because some of you are thinking, dude, I have a lot of responsibilities to go home to today. Man, I have finals. I'm going to text, since you said this, Mark, I'm texting all my professors and say, now my focus is on things that are above. I'm not taking my exam. I'm going to let Jesus handle that, right? Isn't that what you're going to do? Guess what? You're going to fail. Isn't that right? Yes. I'm not feeding the kids at home anymore. I have, I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to put them all in the backyard and I'm going to slide snacks under the door to them every once in a while. Yes, I raised three boys. It's not a bad idea, is it? No. Yeah. No, it's about me taking care of those things in my life. Yes, but remaining focused upon those things that are simply above. That I live life through the gospel. That I live life through mercy and grace and forgiveness and understanding and acceptance to all those that are around me in this life. But there's more. Hang on. Because I know you still have questions. Verse 2 says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So it comes down to choices though. It comes down to you and I making some choices. So we set our mind. And this is where it gets challenging. Because I have to make a choice in life at times by what enables my growth with God and what diminishes my growth in God. I have to make some really hard choices at times on what enables my growth in God and what diminishes my growth in God. It does. And I have to make those choices at some moment. Yeah. Because... It's not about me just doing everything that expected of me. It's not about me doing everybody's plan for my life. All those things you know, that everybody else wants me to do. And I paint it with a brush of for the glory of God. And then everything is okay with me and for me in that light. And that's not what Paul is teaching us at all. No. It's, it's not that in any way. In fact, Paul helps us to understand that in Romans chapter 8 verse 6. Here's what he says to us. He says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. I love that verse. Because it's about choices that we make in life. I'll read it again. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. It's about choices. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That there are certain things in life that Paul says that you put on, and there are certain things in life that you got to learn to take off, is what he's saying. What enables me to grow in Christ, and that what diminishes my relationship with Christ, that I have to make some choices in life. I do. And so he helps us in those areas. Because if you read down a little later in chapter 3, He says in verse 8, here's what he says. He says, put off these things. He says, put off anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk and lying to one another. That makes sense, doesn't it? It really does. But then he says, put on these things in verse 12. He says that you are to put on compassion and kindness and you are to, to put on humility and meekness and patience and forgiveness and love and peace. It's the putting off and and, and it's the putting on and taking off concept that we find here. And you say, well, I like lists, you know, so give me a list. I'm going to check off the boxes. 
So I'm going to go home. I'm going to eliminate all these things from my life, you know, and I'm going to add some of these things back into my life. And that's going to make everything right. And can I tell you, if you live by the list, that's not what he's teaching us at all. Because I think it's more complicated for you and I than that. I really do. This thing of the one thing necessary. Because the reason I think it's more complicated for you and I is this. Because not everything that distracts me in life, not everything that distracts me in life is wicked or evil or immoral. It's not. But many things that distract me from the one necessary thing in life are really morally neutral. They, they really are. Yes. And I think that somehow that we think that we just check the list off and everything is okay in this area of our life. And, they were, and then we're really kind of, we're all good through, through all of that. And so what I realize is that those things in our life that are morally neutral at times, we elevate those things to places in our life that they don't belong, is what we do. We put them in those areas that they don't belong within our lives. And when we put them in those areas where they don't belong in our life, then what I've always discovered how Mark works is this, that when those things go wrong, and they will go wrong, because you place them under an expectation that they cannot manage and they can't stand under the weight of that expectation because you have them in the wrong place in your life. And when they do fail you, who is the first one you're going to place blame on? You're going to place blame on God is what you're going to do. God failed me. God forgot me. God's not concerned about me. God could have done this, but God didn't do this. And all of a sudden, we're blaming God for not fulfilling promises in our life that God never promised you to begin with. And so we blame Him. Because what I understand about the way I'm wired, and I think we're wired the same way, is that when I have things out of those contexts within my life, I have those things in places they shouldn't be, then the first thing that I am blinded to is the goodness of God. And so I begin to blame God for all those failures in life. And I think it's a very interesting thought. But yet my mind is set on Him. And when my mind is set on Him, then I'm focused on God's goodness in my life. I'm focused on His mercy and His kindness and His grace. So when things don't go well within my life, I'm trusting Him because I know His character and nature. That's why I tell you all the time that I don't have to give you sermons with steps one through four on Sunday morning. All we have to do, I believe, is this, is teach you the scriptures about the character and the nature of God. And that's enough to, do, to simply navigate you through almost all of the situations that you're going to find within your life. But I want to tell you, though, that just because something is struggling in your life and just because something is hard within your life, don't discard that either. Don't say, hey, that's just because I have this thing out of, you know, this priority in my life, so I, I push that to the side. Because many times, the challenging things of my life and your life are really the catalyst for growth in our lives spiritually. It's where God challenges us. It is. You want to go home and you want to eliminate all the challenging people from your life. Right? God, either remove them or kill them. You know, whatever, God. You know, that kind of thing. You're sovereign, so whatever you want to do. Number two, I do choose that one, but you know, you do what you want to do, God. And so I want to remove all the challenging people from my life. Oh. Listen, if you're praying that prayer, somebody's praying the same prayer toward you. Did you know that, right? Yeah, God, kill them. You know, get them out of my life. Hey, 
like I tell you all the time, we all need some sandpaper in our life. Don't remove all of that coarseness in relationships within your life today. You need that to refine you. Yeah. So don't remove those things, all of those things that are challenging in your life because they add direction for you. They do. When Reba and I travel, we use the Waze app. Sometimes we use Waze and Maps. We use them simultaneously, you know, because we like to be confused when you're driving, right? Yeah, turn left, turn right. I don't know. Lord, I am praying for divine direction here, right? Which one? They're both yelling at me, you know, and, and then I'm getting frustrated. So that's, that's kind of the way we do it. And at some point, we turn one of them off. And so we use Waze. That's our default, right? And so you're driving down the road, and Waze says, get off at the next exit, she says. And I'm knowing, I know better than that, right? Because my ex is not, but my is 20 miles down the road. And, and this voice is telling me, get off at the next exit. You know, what do they know, right? Exactly. How many of you have ever doubted your GPS system? Raise your hand if you've ever doubted. Good. Put your hands down. Okay, I, I'm just curious for a moment. How many of you ever won that argument and you were right? Anybody? Well, there's a few of you. Very good. Thank you. There's, there's a couple of you. Wow, you guys are smart. Next time, you guys go on the trip with Reba and I, okay? And you can sit in the back seat and tell us where to go. Yes. So I make this calculation. I make it on what I see, right? Traffic is good. Traffic is really good. I mean, I'm, I'm buzzing along, you know? I'm, I'm driving with traffic is what I'm doing. I'm driving with everybody else. I'm, so I'm just going along, dude, you know? So my father-in-law used to teach me the safest way to drive. I never understood this concept. The safest way to drive, and I love him, uh, the safest way to drive was to always drive with traffic. So what does that mean? If they're doing 90, I'm doing 90. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good, right? I'm doing good. So I'm driving with traffic. Everything is great. What does she know that I don't know, right? Well, she knows that what's down the road five miles, she knows that. She knows that traffic is stopped completely. She knows what I don't know. So my mind is set on traffic or my mind is set on her voice. And, and when, I, when I thought about this, what, what I'm thinking is that setting my mind is to be intentional in my seeking. Here's the thought. That I'm intentionally listening to her as she gives us direction. That what I realize is that setting my mind is that I'm intentionally seeking for what enables spiritual growth within my life. And sometimes that means that I make choices. What causes me to love Jesus more? That's pretty simple, right? And what causes me to love him less in life? And I set my course according to that choice. And so when I'm contemplating a relationship... That has to be part of the criteria that I use in that relationship. If you are a believer and you're not asking that question about a potential relationship in your life, does this enable my growth in God or does this diminish my growth in God? If you are not asking that question, you very well will find yourself in trouble. That's truth. It is. 
So I use that in relationships and jobs and professions and all those kinds of things that make up my life. And what I realize is I may not be able to change everything about my circumstances or surroundings. And I can't do that always. I understand that. But what I can do is this, that I can change my focus in the middle of the circumstance on things that are above. And that will change the way I navigate that challenge in my life by what I'm focused on. I remain attentive to those urgent things in my life and I stay focused on the one necessary thing. That's what Paul is teaching us. He says in verse 3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden in Him, it says. I love this because that's a verse that's written to people like me. For those of us that don't get this right all the time, for those of us that really struggle with the priorities at times in our life, for those of us that maybe have a track record of putting the the, the wrong thing in the wrong places at times within our lives, that's written to us because what he's saying is this, that you are hidden in Christ. What that means is this, that your acceptance and your love from God and, and of your forgiveness from God is simply not based upon you always getting this right. This is about grace. And I love that. This is about great grace for you and I because the greatest battle in my life is not always keeping the one necessary thing, the necessary thing in my life. The greatest battle in my life is forgetting that I am hidden in Christ. That's the greatest battle of my life. Because I find myself being very unforgiving toward me. I find myself simply loading myself down with guilt when I don't get this right. And God says no, because outside of that fat, this conversation could be extremely stifling and very burdensome for all of us in this room. And even when I get it wrong because I'm hidden in God, it always pushes me back to Christ. It always pushes me back to Him because it makes me realize that I, I am weak within myself and I need God through this process. So it pushes me back to Him. Last verse, verse 4. Oh, Paul ends this little teaching this way. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I underline the part with him in glory. It's such a powerful thought with him in glory. And so I thought, you know, how do, how do we wrap our brains around this? And so I, I read this or an illustration like this one time. It's like you go on vacation and you arrive in your hotel room, right? And you're going to be there for three days. But you arrive in your hotel room and, you know, it's been this era of COVID. So you've watched more TV than you probably should, right? And so you've been binging on shows like Fixer Upper in Hometown, right? So now you are a renovation expert. Isn't that right? Yes, you are an expert. Yes. So you walk into that drab and dingy hotel room and you look around and you say to yourself, this needs a makeover and so I am going to get my Joanna Gaines on in this room is what's going to happen, right? Yes. So you look around, you make a list and you replace the countertops. That's what you do. You build a beautiful glass shower in the bathroom. You simply expand the window space so you let more light in. You change the color of the room. You get a better, better bed. And you dump that college dorm room refrigerator and you get a real deal refrigerator with an ice maker and water in it, right? Yes. And you fix that up. 
And the hotel manager is looking at you the whole time, scratching his head, but you're paying for it so he's not fighting you because this is an upgrade for the room. And you say, Mark, you're probably thinking the same thing that I would be thinking if I was sitting in your seat. And I think the thought would be that why would you invest so much time and energy in a place that, that you're only staying for such a short time? Think about that. In light of verse 4. Why do you expend so much energy and time. Everything. On a space that you're only staying in for such a short time. Because I understand that. In life there are two. Eternal things in this world. In our existence. Maybe there's more. You can have this the theological discussion with me later. But one is that the kingdom of God is eternal. We know that. It is here. It is eternal. And the second is souls are eternal. So it brings us to this question. Why is our focus in this world on so many temporary things? Are you going to answer that for us, Mark? No. Because I don't have to. You know. Because you you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now through His Word. Why do we expend so much energy and time on things that are just temporary? I borrow this illustration this morning that our existence is like a game of Monopoly. You like Monopoly? Yeah? Who's a master at Monopoly in the room? Let me say, who's a pro? Do I have a pro? Who is that? Oh, come here for a minute. Yes. 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 First of all, I have to ask you, have you prayed about this relationship that you're currently in right now? Uh, yes. Yeah, oh, good. Yes. <laughs> Trinity, I love you, girl. I'm just kidding with you. you know, I know you have. Yeah, so you're a master at Monopoly. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so here's the thing. You, you, you try hard. You like the win. You're competitive. Okay? All right. Anybody competitive in here? Can I get an amen? All the competitive people? Yeah? Okay, yeah. Nathan grunts, others in the room. Okay, you're competitive, right? And, and so you're competitive. And you play to win, right? And, and you, want, you want boardwalk, and you want everything from boardwalk to Marvin Gardens. I mean, you want everything, right? And you want all the money, true? Have you ever loaned anybody else money in the game? Uh, yeah. Try it, okay, yes, okay, good. And so you play the game, and you play the win, at the end you count everything up, and you, and you win the game, and it's done, right? And you've expended all this energy and thought time. Here's, here's the thought. At, when the game is over and everything is done, what do you do? What do you do? Ah, you're thinking, right? Yeah. yeah. What do you do with the game? Where does it go? It goes back in, in the, the box. Thank you. It goes back in the box. Now, you have earned lunch on me. You have to take Trinity out with that, okay? okay. Thank you. <laughs> the point is it goes back in the box, right? 
is all temporary. And when you play Monopoly, have you ever noticed that after you spend all that energy and time and thought, that, that there's this really weird feeling when it all goes back in the box, like if something is incomplete, like there has to be another step to that, but there's not. Interesting, isn't it? The way we play that. So, suppose life is Monopoly and you get to choose your piece on the board. I definitely want to be the car, right? The race car. That's the bomb right there. I want to be the race car. Yes, I do. Stay. Good. And maybe, well, somebody else, because the guy, the guy or the girl that starts the game, they always get the piece they want, right? And everybody else kind of gets the leftovers. And, and so, you get that, or, or maybe... Maybe you're a pet lover and you, you want the pooch, right? You want the dog, yes. It's cute, absolutely. Sit, good, or perfect, okay? But maybe you're the last one to pick. And perhaps in the game of Monopoly, because pieces are important, you end up with what? The hat. What's worse than the hat? The thimble, right? <laughs> you guys are so smart. I love you. You're amazing. Please be here every week because you guys are just wonderful. So, I don't have a thimble, so we'll go with a hat. Let's sit with a hat. And so you start off thinking, if you're the hat, the game is unfair, man. It's just terrible. So you, end, you, you play the game feeling like you're starting out behind. Here's the thought. And I tie all this together with this. As some of you have been playing life for a long time and you feel like you're the hat or the thimble. And you find that every day you get up and you're trying to be the car or the dog. You're trying to work yourself to that. That's what I want. That's the most important thing. And if I get to this, I'm successful. And this is not a sermon against success or working hard or any of those kinds of things. And if you draw that from any of Paul's writings and you don't understand Paul's writings. But this is the way you live your life. That you live your life on social media, right? And so you look at everybody else and how they're living and all of a sudden you find yourself in despair because your life is not like their life. And maybe you've made some bad decisions, true, and because of those bad decisions that has placed you in the situation that you're in. That's understandable. We own that. But I want to be the hat. Who's going to respect me as a hat? I want to be the car. At least the dog. Come on. You know? And when I read this verse 4, what I realized is this. Is that whether you go through life as the car, or whether you go through life as the dog, or whatever else, or if you go through life as the hat, or the thimble. In the end, it all goes back in the box, doesn't it? Yeah. That it's all temporary. How do you look at life? I think that's important. How do you look at life this morning? So for a moment, would you bow your heads for a moment of reflection with me today? And let me pray with you. And pray for you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You know, growing up in church, 
I've heard so many sermons. I've heard, I've heard enough sermons to drown in. And I've heard so many sermons in my life about putting God first. And I leave frustrated after those sermons because I just don't know how to do that. And I realize all the other things that I have in my life that's screaming to me continually that are necessary. And then I find this narrative in the book of Luke and I read those words from Jesus. And I find a challenge and I find direction. So where are you in your life today? Do you find yourself totally focused on all these things that are temporary at the expense of what is eternal? Is that where you are? Because if that's where you are in life, those temporary things will fail you. They will fail you. And where is your foundation this morning? Where does it lie? So, Father, here we sit as your children, your kids. Father, we love you. And God, we, we understand that you love us. God, we've heard your words from your servant Paul this morning and we've listened intently. We've taken some notes. We've laughed. But Lord, you bring us to this point where we have to ask ourselves some very serious and revealing questions. That, Father, you bring us to this place by the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. To deal with where we are today at this moment. God, you know in our world of distraction, Lord, you know it's so easy for us to find ourselves putting things in our life in places they shouldn't be. God, you know that. That doesn't keep you from loving us. We understand that. But God, help us to see those things in our lives. Help us. God, shine a bright light into our souls this morning. That, that we will realize that we are to live this life like you are sovereign and eternity is a reality and everything in life other than you is lived out of that 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 is our foundation that you are sovereign and eternity is a reality And so, God, help us to keep the one thing necessary in our lives necessary, and that is you. God, help us to navigate in choices of our lives today, because, Lord, you know that some of us have huge choices to make. Father, help us to realize that we are hidden in you. This is not about you loving us. This is about direction for our lives. God when it all comes down to it 
we are with you in glory. That in the end, it all goes back in the box. That this is temporary. And that gives us a lens in which to see life through. So work in our hearts today, Father, and change us. In your name we pray.